this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode 5 days after imran khan personally won 6 out of the 7 national assembly seats he contested in pakistan the country's election commission has disqualified him from either remaining or being chosen as a member of parliament mr khan has called on his supporters to protest the controversial decision just as his party said they would pursue a legal challenge against the commission's order many analysts are drawing parallels between the october 21st disqualification and a similar action against then prime minister nawaz sharif in 2017 when the country's supreme court stated that mr sharif could not hold office as he had been dishonest are there parallels between the two decisions is the unseen hand of pakistan's permanent establishment again at work what impact will this have on the country's politics i'm going to pose these questions and some more to tca raghavan who was india's high commissioner to pakistan welcome to the in focus podcast mr raghavan thank you very much So, Mr. Raghun, what is your sense? I mean, what what impact will this decision have on Pakistan and its politics? Well, this decision in itself really represents the continuing strife which exists in Pakistan's political space uh, today uh, between former Prime Minister Imran Khan and his party, and between the PGM. government which is constituted by the ppp and the pmln and it also represents the unsettled uh, and turbulent relationship which has developed between him and pakistan's uh, military so the decision itself has to be seen as part of that continuing uh, contestation uh, and uh, what it does in effect is increase the intensity of the contestation by one or two more uh, notches so what is your sense i mean uh, you know we've seen uh, mr imran khan personally and his party winning by election after by election clearly he's uh, you know popular among the people so so why is why has the establishment you know which uh, of which he was quite a darling why has the establishment turned against him now well there are both uh, tactical or short term explanations and longer structural factors uh, at play Uh, the short term explanations are that the relationship between him and the military uh, started going south because imran khan as prime minister was interfering in its chain of command he started tinkering with the possibilities of who would be the next military chief started trying to position officers so that they would have a better stab at the top uh, position and this alienated antagonized and irritated the military leadership and that really led to their relationship deteriorating to a point beyond which it could not really be rescued but there's also a longer term structural factor at play here and we should not overlook that the pakistan pakistan's military has always had this kind of relationship with the political class that they build up political figures take them to very high uh, levels make them prime ministers and even inevitably then contradictions develop between how a politician sees the way ahead and how 
the military sees the way way ahead. And then a tension develops or a friction develops between the politicians and the military. And inevitably, it has led so far to the political leadership being overthrown, either by means of a coup or otherwise by some kind of political rejigging or political engineering, which leads to uh, a new political head or new prime minister being appointed or elections being held and a new political party being elected. So there is both a short-term tactical dynamic, which has to do with interpersonal trust and interpersonal relationships, uh, but also a longer-term structural process. Mr. Irwin, tell us, I, I, I mean, this decision has come from the Election Commission of Pakistan, you know, and uh, we know this is related to some uh, gifts uh, Mr. Khan has reportedly received and not declared. So, uh, if we look at this, uh, you know, overpowering influence of the permanent establishment or the army, so do you think it is the army that is behind the election commission and its decision to disqualify Mr. Khan? It's very difficult to say how exactly the decision is taken, but certainly the general impression is that the army has has developed a very jaundiced view of Imran Khan's politics. And therefore, it is going along with whatever moves are made uh, to marginalize him, cut him down to size, or take him out of action. Whether there was a direct army hand in influencing this decision is more difficult to say because evidence of that kind is rarely available. So what happens now? I mean, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier that, you know, Imran Khan is clearly popular. He's been winning election after election. And clearly he's one of the front runners to be prime minister. In 2017, we saw how Mr. Nawaz Sharif was, uh, you know, uh, was basically disqualified from office again on what many people believe were very flimsy grounds. So is this now, uh, you know, a kind of uh, equalization measure between Mr. Sharif and Mr. Imran Khan in a way? It certainly appears to be uh, like that. That, uh, of course, the two two disqualifications are not entirely comparable. One is a disqualification by the Election Commission of Pakistan and questions uh, have been raised by... Uh, legal authorities on whether the election commission is in fact equipped to disqualify uh, someone without a judicial process. Nawaz Sharif's disqualification was by the Supreme Court. So it went through a judicial process, questionable, although it may be. So the two are not comparable, but certainly it does appear that in political terms and uh, uh, it, it does appear that an effort is being made to bring both Imran Khan and Nawaz Sharif down to the same level so that you have a level playing field and thereafter uh, both sides are left, uh, in a sense, free to undertake politics uh, directly. Because so far, Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif has been handicapped by the fact that he's disqualified from political uh, positions and from heading political parties or from holding any office in the government. So this step, if it is successful, may well be a move to create a level playing field. You see, the subtext which is running through this political contestation is also a looming transition in the army. 
and uh, the decision to disqualify coincided with the reiteration by the Pakistan chief of army staff that he would he was definitely retiring by the end of november and a great deal will depend end november onwards on what is the view of the new uh, chief on the political situation and on the trajectory which politics in pakistan should take in the uh, in the future so all in all we will see continued political contestations but at the same time contestations with also a great deal of uncertainty because the attitudes which the military will take uh, in the coming months are by no means written in stone uh, and we do not and that that imparts a certain unpredictability to the whole situation you you referred to the appointment of a new army chief which we all know is you know quite critical in pakistan and the trajectory of its politics in the past we've seen you know many people appoint uh, you know army chiefs of their choice but that didn't really help them you know to last long as prime minister you know whether it was um, bhutto's appointment of zia or nawaz sharif's appointment of musharraf's you know superseding so many people it didn't really help so so how can pakistan really rise above this issue is there anything that it can do to address this structural problem within the establishment that as you said uh, you know the army props up leaders and uh, you know after a while they tend to get tired and the army's perspective differs from the civilian leadership so is there anything that pakistan can do to address this you know uh, rather fundamental structural problem in its politics well it's an issue they have been wrestling with for some decades now without any great uh, success because uh, how to smoothen the interface between the political class and the military is not a easy uh, issue for them to uh, for them to resolve and uh, as i said they have not they have tried to do this by various means but have had not great uh, success in the short term a great deal depends on personalities because while there is a structural contradiction between uh, the political process and uh, as to how the military thinks and during the tenures of some army chiefs that contradiction has been managed better in the past in more recent times the army has become more assertive some posit that is because resources are becoming uh, scarcer and therefore the element of competition for scarce resources adds that extra intensity to the civil military uh, contestations but it's not easy for them to uh, find a solution to this because both sides are very jealous about the space which they occupy and pakistan's politics is incredibly complicated because there is one dynamic at the central or federal level and there are separate dynamics at the provincial level so how to manage that to bring about a common interface to deal with the military is a question which really bewilders them and there is no straightforward answer to this so you think uh, if, if if you know mr bhutto or uh, uh, nawaz sharif had gone simply by the principle of seniority you think it could have addressed some of these problems or uh, you know it would have happened one uh, you know willy nilly one way or the other well the personality of the army uh, of the chief of army staff has made a difference this doesn't appear that evident in the, in this century 
but certainly in the 90s there were one or two army chiefs who deferred consciously deferred although they did not need to they consciously deferred to the political uh, leadership there were others like general musharraf who changed that trend and did not uh, continue with that position of implicitly uh, acknowledging that the political leadership had the upper hand uh, because of the force which the military has had uh, in terms of the political space in terms of their uh, capacity to configure political forces into the directions they wanted to go uh, it's not easy for them to concede space uh, and as i said this is also a real contestation over scarce resources and the army uh, command also is answerable to its own constituency it has uh, numerous uh, uh, demands of its own both strategic demands as also personal related demands uh, to satisfy and which is why they want to retain an element of control uh, over how much the political class will actually run uh, the country uh, let's not also forget that the army Uh, in pakistan or the military in pakistan has a particular vision of itself in terms of being uh, the guardians of pakistan's uh, uh, strategic direction uh, so to say and that is another area where they do not wish the political class to have too much of a role the external and the internal then get interconnected in numerous ways most uh, this is most evident in the case of afghanistan because the army chose a certain strategic policy to pol- follow with regard to pakistan but that has then domestic consequences which the political class had to deal with in terms of rise of act- extremism terrorism uh, etc and the impact that had on the economy for which they blamed the military and the military didn't uh, like it which became another terrain for all kinds of tensions between the political class and the generals uh mr rawal one other you know development uh, which is noteworthy in the last few days in pakistan has been uh, you know the fact that pakistan has got off the financial action task forces grey list w- what are the implications of pakistan uh, getting off this list well in the immediate and short term it has no great implications pakistan being on that uh, list was a demoralizing factor for pakistan in a, in the most general since it did have certain economic impact to in terms of increasing uh, transaction uh, costs and increasing the cost of uh, funds which it wanted to uh, access but more than that it had a demoralizing impact because uh, the general it, it led to this sense in pakistan that somehow the international committee uh, co- community uh, was ostracizing pakistan because of its association with terrorist uh, groups so its removal from the uh, from the watch list or the gray list will come as some kind of a relief uh, and will uh, address that uh, uh, question of morale uh, but uh, question of morale and question of pakistan's image uh, but it does not have much of a immediate economic impact and that is because the economy is in such a dire position for a whole host of reasons that this factor in itself will not have any will not have the capacity to make any great improvement to the economic situation so then why has the pakistani establishment you know spent so much time in addressing the concerns of the fatf because uh, a it was uh, as i said uh, 
it it was something which was uh, reflected very badly on Pakistan's external image, and in a long term sense, where when when you look at uh, transaction costs in terms of investment by foreign uh, investors uh, and so on, the fact that you figure on a FATF watch list is a disqualification. So it was something which the Pakistan government had to address. And it did so for a long period of time, believing that that uh, listing was unfair, etc., etc. Uh, and now that this uh, uh, it is no longer on the watch list, to that extent, they feel that they have been vindicated. But the range of but the, the the scale of Pakistan's economic issues are so vast that this measure in itself does not make that much of a, a difference. It certain it certainly addresses the political issue or the optical issue or the image issue uh, to some extent, but has really no major impact otherwise. So to, to return to Pakistan's politics, uh, you know, and the road ahead, uh, you know, there are, there's a likelihood of Mr. Nawaz Sharif returning to Pakistan from London. There's a likelihood uh, that um, Mr. Imran Khan's uh, disqualification will be challenged in a court of law and we'll see some drama happening there. And we also see at the same level Mr. Imran Khan's abilities to bring out the people. Uh, he's been addressing large rallies and people respond to his call. Clearly, he has, uh, you know, he has a connect with the people, which uh, perhaps the Pakistan Muslim League is missing. And so is the PPP. So if there were to be an election in which uh, Imran Khan is able to stand or his party contests and he's able to campaign at least, what is your sense? How will the electoral battle pan out in Pakistan? It's very difficult to predict uh, what will happen in elections because one doesn't even know when they are going to take place. But certainly if one takes a temperature reading uh, just now, uh, the feedback you would get is that Imran Khan's popularity has uh, grown quite significantly in the past few months since the time uh, he ceased being prime minister. Uh, and certainly the PDM government, but in particular uh, the Pakistan Muslim League, uh, has uh, suffered a certain loss of popularity because they have had to take very difficult decisions with regard to the economy. Uh, which has affected inflation, affected uh, purchasing power, uh, etc. And they are having to carry the can for that. So certainly Imran Khan's popularity, the upstick in it is uh, a development which cannot be uh, ignored. Uh, the, more, the more significant uh, fact uh, really is the extent of defiance which he is showing. Uh, and to my mind, this appears to be something new. Uh, Pakistan's prime ministers being dislodged because the military was not entirely happy with the way they were functioning uh, is not a new factor in uh, Pakistan. But generally, they have made noises but kept the extent of their dissatisfaction certain within certain limits. Imran Khan seems to be pushing those uh, limits. So this defiance against, uh, he doesn't say so often very specifically, but uh, the subtext is quite clear. This defiance against uh, the military's actions is something which is new. And when you combine it with the upstick in his 
popularity, it's very difficult to say whether or not we are in uh, we are at the threshold of something new happening uh, in Pakistan. So, would you say that uh, you know uh, traditionally the Pakistan Muslim League, known led by Mr. Nawaz Sharif, has also been critical of the army? I mean, after all, he's been dislodged from power three times uh, by the army in one way or the other. And uh, not so long ago, he was making these uh, you know stormy speeches from London. But now, of course, uh, as you point out, they are in government, and uh, you know they have a difficult uh, economy and a difficult uh, situation to deal with. So, is that why you think uh, because Mr. Imran Khan has, in a sense, uh, occupied the pole opposition position and he's quite critical of the military establishment? Is that why you think uh, the Muslim League um, uh, Noon Group has lost out in its popularity? To some extent, because they have had to take difficult decisions, they also have to bear the burden of Imran Khan's narrative, which is which he has been quite successful in spinning, quite regardless of whether it is true or not. But he's been successful in spinning the narrative that he represents a new kind of politics as compared to the dynasts of the PPP and the Pakistan Muslim League. And that has a certain appeal uh, to younger voters and to the younger uh, generation of Pakistanis. And while... What you're saying is true that Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif or ex-Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif was also very critical of the military uh, in his own way. But Imran Khan has taken that uh, critical position to a new level. I mean, he is pushing the limits uh, in directions which have not been attempted uh, before. Uh, and uh, for instance, he has used this technique before of flooding Islamabad with long marches and bringing uh, life to a standstill. Uh, but that was in a situation where it was generally believed with some uh, with some sound grounds that he had uh, some kind of a nod from the military to do so, which was how which is why the crisis of 2015 and 2016 played out in a particular way. Now he's using that same tactic when he's got the military as amongst his adversaries. Uh, and therefore, he is pushing in a direction and to an extent which has not been attempted before. TCA Raghwan, uh, former Indian High Commissioner to Pakistan, thank you for speaking to the In Focus podcast and sharing your insights. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.